Hey everybody, this is Matt. Thank you for joining us tonight on the Chi Alpha stream. We had hoped to be in person tonight back in the psychology auditorium, but the icy conditions, the snowy circumstances uh, have us online for family groups again tonight. And that's okay. We're going to roll with it. And again, hopefully be back in person next week. But I'm excited still about what God's going to do in your family group discussions tonight. You know, there's some people out there who love the snow, that they saw the snow coming down and they are excited. But we don't get a lot of snow in Memphis, especially like this on this level. This is like once every 10 years or so, snow and weather and icy conditions. Some people love the snow. Some people are excited. Some people hate the snow, right? And they're like, man, I can't wait till we get summer weather again. I would prefer to be on a beach and wearing shorts. Uh, some people love cold weather. Some people love hot, warm weather, right? There's two kinds of people, right? You, you've probably heard this before. This There are two kinds of people dichotomy. We talk about all kinds of different things. And we say, oh, there's two types of people. There's cat people and dog people, right? There's Apple people and there's Android people. There's people that uh, like the toilet roll to go over the top and some that like the toilet roll to go under. There's two types of people, right? And we could go on and on and on uh, with this dichotomy. There's two types of people. Well, there's two types of people in the passage that we're looking at tonight in the Bible. Two types of people who would both identify as Christians. The first are those that freely accept God's gift of grace in Christ. They freely accept what Jesus has done for them, and they accept God's grace by faith. And then there's this second group that even though God's grace is free and undeserved, they still try to prove to God their worthiness. They try to earn God's favor uh, by observing Old Testament ceremonial practices and following those laws. Not only that, they try to get others to follow those laws and practices as well. And this creates a big problem for the church. So we've been studying the New Testament book of Acts together in our family group times on Thursday nights. We've been calling this series Sent because it's all about recognizing that we've been sent by God and the purpose and the meaning that it gives to our lives, knowing that we've been sent by God with a specific purpose. Uh, it gives us a clear purpose, shows us how to live in every circumstance, every situation, because we know we don't just happen to be in this situation. We've been sent there by God with a purpose. Last week, we talked about how if we know we've been sent with a purpose, we're going to recognize uh, with humility that it's not about me, and I'm going to make my life into a sign that points other people to Jesus. In the text we're looking at tonight, Paul and Barnabas are returning home from a long missionary journey. They're excited to share with the people all that God had done for them, the Gentiles that had come to Christ, the churches that they'd planted. But when they arrive home to Antioch, they notice there's a big division growing in the church. Let's take a look at it. We're going to be in Acts, starting in chapter 14, verse 21. Acts 14, starting in verse 21, it says, They, that's Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel in that city. They were in Derby and won a large number of disciples. And after this, the missionaries begin to make their way back home to Antioch. And along the way, they stop in various cities that they'd visited before and planted churches in before. And at each stop, they encourage the believers there and then also appoint elders, appoint leaders to help oversee these communities. Verse 26, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Their missionary journeys come full circle. They returned back to Antioch. That's the same church, if you remember, where Holy Spirit called them out and sent them on this missionary journey. Well, they've made it back home. Verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 
and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. You'll remember that a big part of Barnabas and Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, right? There are many Jewish believers, people that had converted from Judaism to Christianity, uh, people that had grown up with a, a Jewish heritage who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, and now God was sending the church out from there to these Gentile communities with no Jewish faith backgrounds, and these people are coming to Christ as well. Barnabas and Paul had completed their missionary journey. They've returned uh, home to report, man, the good news. Hey, here's what God's done in these different Gentile cities. Here's what God's done. Man, people are coming to Christ. Lives are being changed. But while they're there, they become aware of a serious problem that has grown in their absence. Have you ever had a really good day and you wanted to tell your best friend about it, but you could see on their look on their face that they did not have a really good day and maybe this isn't the time, they're not ready to hear about it? Um, man, when, when Paul and Barnabas show back up at the church, there's a serious problem there and they've got to deal with it. So we're going to continue on Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas find themselves having to deal with these legalistic believers who are going to the churches and telling the Gentile Christians that they couldn't be saved only by faith in Christ, but they also had to follow the law of Moses, including ceremonial things like circumcision. And there's always going to be those believers, even today, uh, who rather than going to the lost, go to other believers, other Christians, to tell them what they're doing wrong and how they need to be more like them. You know, as uh, I've served in campus ministry for many years at this point, and we've worked alongside uh, some other fantastic ministers and ministries. At the University of Memphis, I have the honor of also serving as the chairman for religious life staff. And so I get to work with other campus ministers, and there are other great organizations doing incredible things for the Lord and for the kingdom of God on the campus, right? And, and, and so, so many uh, other great organizations we can partner with and work with that are awesome. And they look at the campus and they say, Hey, there's students here that are far from God, law students that need Jesus, and they're doing the work in the ministry to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. But man, we also sometimes uh, encounter groups or, or, or ministries or ministers that, that rather than going to the lost, those that are far from God, it seems like their focus is more on just going to other Christians and telling other Christians what they're doing wrong and the rules that they should follow so they could be more like them. We still have this today, these uh, legalistic believers that have and a set of rules they feel like they need to follow to make themselves acceptable to God. And that's one thing. The problem is when they put those rules on other people. They say, you're not really saved unless you do this, this, and this. And that's what's happening to the believers uh, here in Acts chapter 15. You've got these, these believers that grew up as Jewish Pharisees following these laws, following these rules was very important to them growing up. And it was still an important part of how they related to God, how they worshiped God. The problem is them telling Gentile believers, unless you follow these rules as well, then you're not really saved, right? Unless you do these ceremonial practices as well, you're not really saved, which flies in the face of the truth of the gospel, which is we're saved by God's grace, by faith alone in what Jesus did, not by any rules we, we follow or any ceremonial practices that we adopt, right? We've been talking a lot about living as people who recognize that we are sent, right? We've talked about being sent by God. Sent by who? 
sent by God. And we've talked about sent for what reason, the purposes that God sent us. But it's also important for us to consider sent to who? Who has God sent us to? We've been sent to the lost. We've been sent to those that are far from God to tell them about the hope that we found in Christ. And if we only ever go to other believers to tell them how they're doing it wrong and, and how they need to be more like us, then we've missed it. We've missed the point. That's not what we've been sent to do. There, there is a place, man, for, for upholding the truth. And man, if we see a believer is struggling, man, encouraging them back on the right path. Um, but if we're only ever criticizing other believers because we feel like they're not measuring up uh, to our standards, um, and never going to the lost, never sharing the hope of Jesus, the people that are far from God, then we've totally missed it, right? And so just as Paul and Barnabas had to deal with that, man, we, we deal with that sometimes today as well. Continuing on in verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Right Here's these guys again standing up and saying, hey, uh, we're, we're glad there's Gentile believers as well, but it's important that they follow the laws of Moses, these ceremonial laws like circumcision. When we talk about the law in the Old Testament, it's important that we have a clear distinction in our minds between the moral law that's in the Old Testament. These are things like the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. These things are morally wrong, and it's a morally sta moral standard that God wants us to continue to live to even today. But also, the Old Testament is full of ceremonial laws, uh, things about diet and dress uh, that would, would help to set the people of, of Israel apart as a distinct people, would make people ceremonial, ceremonially clean and acceptable to God. But these rules, these laws, we are free from in Christ. We do not still have to observe these things to be made acceptable to God. And that's the point of contention here. So these Pharisees stand up and say, the Gentiles need to be circumcised, right? It's not enough for them just to believe in Jesus. Verse six, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on their necks, on the necks of the Gentiles, a yoke that neither you nor your ancestors were able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He says, man, why are you trying to put all these additional rules uh, on, on the Gentiles? We're saved by the grace of the Lord and Jesus Christ, and that's it. If you want to try to follow all the rules and laws of the Old Testament, that's fine. Good luck. But the problem is when you tell other people, they've got to follow those things too, or they're not really saved. Paul says this, why do you try to test God by putting on the next of the Gentiles, a yoke, a burden that neither we nor our ancestors have ever been able to bear. The thing about the law is you can't actually keep it. The law exists to show how short we fall of God's perfect standards. It's like applying for a loan, right? A person applies for a loan because they don't have enough money to accomplish something and they need financial assistance. The irony is that 
A person with plenty of assets has no trouble at all getting a loan, but they're also the person who probably doesn't actually need a loan. And a person who actually needs a loan often can't get one because they don't have the assets. In a similar way, a person who is morally perfect, a person that can keep the law perfectly, has no need of a savior. But what Paul is saying here, that describes none of us, right? None of us are able to perfectly follow these rules. So why are we burdening other people with them, right? None of us can follow the law. Why are we trying to burden other people with rules when for every single one of us, we're saved completely by faith in Jesus and God's grace towards us. The law exists only to show how much we need a savior. We look at the law, we see all the places we fall short and it shows our hearts just how much we need Jesus. There's always gonna be a moral standard in the Old Testament that we should try to live up to, try to uphold. We wanna live holy and moral lives. But the ceremonial laws of diet and dress and things like circumcision We're free of those things in Christ, and we no longer need to observe them to make ourselves acceptable to God. Continuing in verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Verse 15, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And then James goes on to quote the prophet Amos about God's plan to save the Gentiles. Continuing on in verse 19, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And James says that that, that's where I arrive at it. Why are we making it harder for people to come to God? We shouldn't make it more difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Verse 20, instead, we should write to them telling them, to abstain from food polluted by idols, from a sexual immorality, and from meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So he says, hey, let's not make it more difficult for Gentiles to come to God. Praise the Lord. Gentiles are hearing the gospel. They're coming to Jesus. Why in the world would we make it more difficult for them by saying, hey, you need to follow this rule. You need to observe this practice. Uh, When we know we're not saved by the law anyway, we're saved by God's grace. He says there are a few things though, right? So he he lists a few rules. He says, I do want to encourage them to observe these things. Why? Why these three rules? Um, And I believe it's so that uh, as Christians, our lives can be holy and we can be loving, right? I think it all comes down, these rules that James lists come down to living holy and being loving towards others, right? He says that we should abstain from uh, food polluted by idols. We shouldn't participate in any degree to idol worship and false religion, right? If we can avoid any kind of idolatry, that's what we need to do. So don't don't practice any kind of idol worship. Uh, Distance yourselves from anything that even looks like participating in worship of idols. Uh, That's good for all Christians to do. None of us should be worshiping idols. We shouldn't allow anything to be an idol in our life. The other thing he says is to avoid sexual immorality. Man, God still has a standard for us to live holy lives when it comes to our sexual conduct. So we need to be aware of sexual immorality. We need to stay far away from those kind of things and and follow God's sexual ethic for our lives and live lives that are holy in that way. And the last thing he says, avoid the meat of strangled animals. Um, uh, This was a practice that was really important to the Jews, that they would not eat meat from strangled animals and they wouldn't drink blood. And he says, man, I understand there's parts of the world where people do this and it's no big deal, but the loving thing to do when you sit down at the table 
with your brother and sister in Christ is not to offend them, right? So if you're going to sit down at the table um, and with, with, with believers that grew up Jewish and this is extremely offensive to them, and abstain from these things, right? Man, man, let, let's not partake of those things that are going to cause our brothers and sisters to stumble and be offended. Let's live in a way that's loving to others. So James says, yeah, we're not going to put extra rules on the Gentiles. Just tell them to live, live a holy life uh, and be loving to others, and we think that's going to cover it. The church and its leaders choose a team to accompany Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with a letter explaining the conclusion that they've come to in the matter. And Luke includes the letter for us if you want to read it later. But continuing on in verse 30, it says, So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And we'll finish up here, verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. The, the church receives the letter uh, that says all the conclusions they'd reached to. No, we're saved by grace, the free gift of God through Jesus we don't have to observe all these ceremonial practices like circumcision anymore to make ourselves acceptable to God. It says the people that read it were glad and encouraged. And I imagine so. If I'm a Gentile believer, it's encouraging to hear, oh, I don't have to follow all of these rules to be made acceptable to God. If I'm a grown man, uh, it's really good news for me to hear. I don't need to be now circumcised to be acceptable to God. I'd be glad to receive that news as well. All right. So what does this mean for us today? I mean, understanding uh, how the church dealt with this difficult matter and they overcome it uh, and, and, and how that's good news for us today. God's grace for us is a free gift because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's never forget that. God's grace is a free gift. Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Jesus did live that perfect life. Jesus did observe every part of the law, something no other human being's ever been able to do. Jesus was morally perfect, right? So that when he when he died and suffered on the cross, he, he's that perfect substitute for us. Uh, when Jesus is arrested and crucified, God works a miracle and lays uh, the punishment that you and I deserve for everything we've ever, ever done wrong. He lays that on Jesus instead so we can be forgiven and made right with God. You know, the good news of the gospel is that after dying on the cross, Jesus didn't remain dead. But three days later, he rose from the dead, appearing to hundreds of eyewitnesses, ascending to heaven, promising one day he's going to return for us. Jesus is our Savior. We can't be made right with God by following rules. The only way to be made right with God, to have hope uh, for eternal life in heaven, is by putting our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save us, right? And it's a free gift God extends to all of us. Jesus talks about coming to God with faith like a child. Have you ever given a child a gift, right? Have you ever uh, been in a position to give a little kid a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, a just-because gift, um, I want you to picture that for a moment. When you give a little child a gift, the child opens it. Here's what they do not say. They do not say, oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, that's way too much. How much did you pay for this? I want to pay you back. Or I'm going to get you back next time. No, kids don't say that. Kids are like, oh, sweet, a gift, right? If they've got good manners, they might say thank you. But they're like, oh, this is awesome. They're not saying, oh, how can I pay you back? Or, oh, you shouldn't have. But adults, man, that's what we do, right? We see an extravagant gift and we think, man, I, I got to figure out a way to earn this. I got to figure out a way to pay them back. But Jesus says, no, I want you to receive the free gift of God's grace and forgiveness like a little child. Don't, don't try to figure out how you're going to earn it or pay it back. Just accept it. Just accept what God's done for you in Jesus. Be grateful for it. Be thankful for it. And then share that good news with other people. Share that gift with other people. 
We need to be Christians who freely accept God's grace and freely share it with others, not burdening them with rules and laws and legalism and ceremonial things that really don't matter. If we know that we've been set, set apart by God and sent with a purpose, then we're going to go to the lost to proclaim freedom in Christ and not just try to make other believers more like us. We're going to talk about this more in our family groups, and I'm hoping we have a great discussion on these matters. And hopefully next week we will be back in person next Thursday night in the Psych Auditorium at 8 p.m. Super looking forward to seeing you all there and hoping you guys have some fantastic discussions in your family group time. I love you and look forward to seeing you again soon.